Thanks for listening to the Inner Life Podcast. Be sure to join us every weekday at 11 a.m. Central on Relevant Radio or on the Relevant Radio app. Find your local Relevant Radio station at RelevantRadio.com or stream us live every day on the Relevant Radio app. It's time to set out on the pathway to healing and light. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. If you have questions or concerns about your faith journey, if you are struggling or searching for something more, if you are in need of some spiritual direction, our Catholic priests are here to help. One heart at a time. Welcome to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Hello and welcome to The Inner Life here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I hope your Tuesday is off to a good start here. I'm Josh Raymond, and uh, if you're just carrying over from listening to the Patrick Madrid show, oh, Kale, he beat me in uh, <laughs> our, our little contest there of Patrick's new book, The Inquisition, uh, emphasis on quiz there. Uh, it's a free book that Patrick's offering for anybody who would like it. If you haven't signed up for your free copy, just go to our website, Relevant radio.com. You can click on the banner there and get your free book. You can also find it on the Relevant Radio app. Um, Great book. And uh, Kale, he bested me uh, in the competition there, but it was a lot of fun. And there are so many interesting questions. I've had a chance to read through about a third of Patrick's books so far. And whether you're just starting out learning about the faith or whether you've been a lifelong Catholic, there's a lot of great information. And Patrick gives the the uh, resources, the citations of where you can find information on all those different questions that he presents in that kind of Q&A format there. It gives you multiple choice that you can choose from. So today, as we're beginning our program, though, I uh, want to talk about when you were young. Did you have to memorize the multiplication table? For me, it was in the third grade. We were expected to know the multiplication table of everything up to 12 times 12. And our teacher, this was Mrs. Schumacher, my third grade teacher, she'd call us back, each one of us, to her desk and quiz us individually to see if we all had the answers memorized. And I remember it was the sevens. Those were the ones that were the toughest for me. Eights were a little tough. You know, sevens were still tougher for me for whatever reason. I liked nines. Everything from six on under seemed really easy. Of course, twos were really easy. You're just doubling whatever number you're talking about. Uh, fives, of course, super easy as well. Maybe easiest of all, though, as you're learning your times tables, tens. I think the tens were the easiest. That's usually where most kids start out. And grouping things in fives or tens, it's so attractive to us as humans. But it also seems that there's more to it than just the ease of multiplication, more than just nice round numbers. The BBC had this article on their website a couple of years ago, and it was describing this theory that came from a British anthropologist and an evolutionary psychologist. His name is Robin Dunbar. And back in the mid-90s, Robin Dunbar, he had began to study the behavior and especially the social structure of primates. He began to look at the different social groups of primates, and he was able to associate the number of members of each social group specifically because of the neocortex, the brain, of the primates. Uh, 
And so he took what he learned there, and then he extrapolated his findings, applying it to humans. And it turns out that we, as humans, we have groups of relationships that typically fall in multiples of fives or tens. Of course, this isn't a hard and fast number. There can be outliers. There can be exceptions. But according to Dunbar's theory, we have these levels of connection with those in our lives. First, there's the very closest circle of people that we know. And this is made up of five people. It consists of those dearest loved ones in your life. And then that's followed by the successive layer of a relationship. It moves next to your very good friends. This is typically consisting of about 15 people. Then it's your regular friends. That goes up to 50, five zero. Uh, Next is your meaningful contacts. And that comes in at about 150 people. Now, people can migrate in and out of these different layers, but the idea is that um, space really has to be kind of carved out in one of those groups for any new people that come into that circle of contacts. And so for that one at 150 people, the meaningful contacts that you have in your life, how does Robin Dunbar define who fits the criteria of falling into that social group? Well, he explained it as being, quote, the number of people that you would feel not embarrassed about joining uninvited for a drink if you happen to bump into them in a bar. If you just happen to see them sitting at the bar, no problem to go up and sit right next to them, chat with them for a little while. Might not be the deepest of conversation, but you still have enough, uh, you know, in common or uh, a good enough relationship that you can at least carry a conversation for a little bit. I don't know if I could honestly think of 150 people that I know that fit into that kind of category for me. But I do find it interesting that this is a limit for us, hitting that capacity at 150. And when I came across this, it made me wonder if there's a correlation in other areas where we as humans, where we can maintain that meaningful connection, not just with people, but remembering up to maybe 150 ideas or concepts. And since here in this hour of the inner life, we focus so much on prayer, I'm thinking very specifically right now of 150 prayers that we have collected in our Bibles, all of the Psalms. For several thousand years now, all 150 Psalms, they've been used in worshiping God, both privately, but also publicly, in corporate worship. We we still use those Psalms daily. Every time you go to Mass, that's where we respond to one of the Psalms during the Liturgy of the Word. In fact, the Catechism of the Catholic Church calls the Psalms the master work of prayer in the Old Testament. And it also says that they are, quote, an essential and permanent element of the prayer of the church, and they're suitable for people of every condition and every time. So, regardless of where you are in your spiritual life, because the Psalms are suitable for every condition and every time for people, the Psalms are something that can help you pray, but they can also teach you how to pray. And this is what we want to talk about today here on The Inner Life, how we can pray with the Psalms, how they'll help us in our prayer and and that intimacy with God. And joining us as our spiritual director today here on the program, Father Rob Kroll is with us. And Father Rob is a Jesuit priest. He's the director of spiritual formation at St. Francis de Sales Seminary in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Father Rob, welcome back to The Inner Life. Well, 
Good morning to you and everybody this morning, if, if it is still morning where you are. Um, yeah, good to be with you. It's been a little while, but uh, I'm doing well and, and happy to explore the wonderful treasure that are the Psalms and the Liturgy of the Hours uh, today. So thank you. Well, and maybe we can just start with a little history on the Psalms. You know, I mentioned there's 150 of them total in the Bible. Many of them were written by David, not all of them. There's other other writers there. But uh, what other background might be helpful for someone to know as they approach the Psalms? If they're really not familiar with them, what should they know about these these songs and poetry that we see here, in these 150 mm-hmm. of them collected? Well, they form uh, a very important part of the Old Testament. Uh, they're part of the wisdom literature. And what I really appreciate about the Psalms myself is that they together express uh, kind of the whole range of human emotions and human circumstances. And so we find psalms uh, that are very um, uh, joyful and and, uh, focused on praising God and glorifying God. We find psalms that sometimes express uh, lament and great sorrow and anguish, where the psalmist is clearly uh, in great difficulty and is crying out to God for help and for salvation. Um, we have psalms that are instructive and uh, talk about um, the importance of the moral life, of doing good and avoiding evil. Um, so I think one of the things that makes the psalms so special is that they cover kind of all uh, the entire range of human experience and, and human emotion. And so as we pray them regularly, uh, sometimes we find that a given psalm expresses really, really well where we are at that particular moment. And, and sometimes, especially when we're struggling, when we're experiencing great grief, um, when we feel very lost and confused in our spiritual life, kind of grabbing hold of the words of the psalmist can be very comforting because it, it seems to express exactly what's going on in our own life, in our own mind and heart. Um, other times when we pray the Psalms liturgically, and we'll talk about that during the hour, uh, it may not be that I myself, you know, find myself exactly where the psalmist is, but, but one of the neat things about the Psalms is that they're the universal prayer of the Church. Um, people all around the world at any given moment are using the Psalms for liturgical prayer, and that means um, I, can, I can unite that Psalm with perhaps someone else who is going through that circumstance or feeling that particular uh, emotional state. So, so there's just a real richness, uh, Josh, in, in this collection of uh, awesome prayers. You know, the Psalms kind of remind me of where, um, I, I don't know if you listen to much classical music, but mm-hmm. there is, especially in Johann Sebastian Bach, he has this well-tempered clavier collection of preludes and fugues. And it goes through all the different keys of the piano. And there's things in the major keys, but there's things in the minor keys. But Bach, every time he writes in a minor key, which has that kind of darker sound to it, he always, by the end, resolves to a major chord as the final. It always resolves to kind of the positive. And there's a lot of psalms, as you're talking about, where... It meets us at different places in our lives. There's plenty of psalms where, you know, whoever is writing, a lot of times it's David, but you have this kind of, oh, you know, God, where are you? I feel so forsaken. 
everything's going wrong in my life. But then by the end, it turns around into this beautiful prayer of worship and thanksgiving mm-hmm. and praise. It always resolves to that, even though it acknowledges some pretty difficult moments that the psalmist is going through. And I, I love that about the psalms, that like you say, it meets you where you are, but it doesn't just leave mm-hmm. you there. It doesn't just say, well, yep, things <laughs> things are pretty bad. It says, no, things are bad. And we can acknowledge that, but let's not forget who's in control of everything in the end. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe one of the most famous examples of that is Psalm 22, which begins with those famous words, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And I think a lot of people out there listening might not know that when we see those words on Jesus's lips in the Gospels, when he's hanging on the cross, you know, he's not just sort of spontaneously coming up with those words, but he's actually beginning to pray Psalm 22. And if you look at that psalm, there's some incredible um, prophecies, as it were, or echoes, and the patience of Jesus's own situation. But by the end of that Psalm 22, the tone has become, um, you know, much more hopeful. Uh, so I think, uh, yeah, that's a that's a wonderful example of exactly what you're saying, that the Psalms don't just leave us in the darkness. Uh, they they move us, um, you know, in the direction of, of hope and great trust in God. Well, and you also mentioned that, uh, you know, at any hour of the day around the world, that through the liturgy of the church, the liturgy of the hours, we have people who are praying the Psalms. Maybe we can talk about that in a moment, but um, the most common place, I think, for a layperson to encounter the Psalms, as a Catholic at least, I mentioned we, you know, at every Mass, we end up praying through a psalm, or at least a portion of one of the psalms. And Mm -hmm. there are a couple of things that stand out, I think, in this, at least to me. First is, this is the only book of the Bible that's included at every single Mass that we go to throughout the course of the year. And so that seems pretty special. But then there's also... um, You know, they're in the midpoint of the liturgy of the Word of the Mass, you know, especially on a Sunday. uh, We have first reading the psalm, second reading, and then the gospel reading. Uh, At a daily weekday Mass, there's first reading psalm and then the gospel. It's kind of sandwiched in between. Uh, Any insight you might give on this as to why the psalms are so important that they're in every single Mass throughout the course of the year? Well, I think, you know, part of what makes the psalm special and why we incorporate them in Mass is because it gives us an opportunity to, um, you know, speak to the Lord. So in the other readings, we're listening attentively to the Word of God. But with the psalms, I know that sometimes they're just recited at Mass, but ideally, you know, you have a cantor who is uh, leading us in song, and so there's a refrain, and uh, we join in that. And so it's an opportunity, you know, amidst the readings, amidst the Word of God, to kind of offer our own praise and response to them. Um, often the, the psalm that is used at Mass is chosen because it somehow does um, express something that is going on in the readings. Um, so it's not just sort of a random uh, choice. But I think that's, in large part, why we include it is... Um, it, it's, uh, you know, it's an opportunity for us to, for as, a, as a group, as the people of God together, to lift up our voices in praise and to express, 
you know, to express something profound uh, to the Lord as, as we also listen. So there's sort of a dialogic, uh, dialogical structure to what's going on there, as, as there is in other parts of the Mass as well. So the Mass isn't meant to be just sort of a quote-unquote spectator sport, you right. know, that the Church calls for that active, conscious, full participation. And so, you know, singing the Psalms, or, or at least reciting the refrain of the Psalm, is, is, our, is another way that we can um, actively, you know, uh, participate in the mass. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and yeah, that participation, cause that's what I was thinking too. You know, it's so interesting that, uh, I, I don't know, I can't think of any other time right now outside of maybe Holy week, you know, the passion readings that we have, this is yeah. the only scripture that we do actively participate in with that active response mm-hmm. there at mass. And it really right. does bring us into the liturgy of the word. Like you say, it's not just a spectator sport then. Right. Right. That's a good reference, though. You're right that at the when we, when we have the Passion reading on, on Good Friday, um, you know, there's more of that sense of participating in the reading. But uh, otherwise, yeah, this is really our our main opportunity at every Mass to do so. So, you know, I think one thing, too, is is we, and we'll maybe talk about this a little bit in the, in the course of the hour, but, um, you know, the Psalms are meant to be used in a kind of a public way. I mean, we can recite them privately, but um, we inherit the Psalms from the Jewish people, mm-hmm. and and they were used, you know, by the Jews, by faithful Jews to, um, you know, to gather their prayer. And they would gather in the temple or in a synagogue, and they would pray these Psalms uh, publicly and aloud. And so it's not meant just for our own private devotion and prayer, but you know, we, we call it the liturgy of the hours as Catholics for a reason, because outside of the Mass, kind of the next and highest form of public worship or public prayer is the liturgy of the hours. So um, even when I, like as a priest, I'm obligated, and as a religious too, as someone with, with religious vows, I'm obligated to pray a certain number of these um, psalms each day, throughout the day and night. But when I do that, um, at, the, at the seminary here where I work, we, we gather most days for morning prayer and evening prayer. Uh, the other uh, punctuating times of the day, I, I usually pray in private. But even when I'm praying privately or alone, I'm conscious of the fact that it's still the Church's public worship and that I'm joining in this kind of continuous stream of praise that is going up to God all the time. So that that's, I think, a really important feature of this of the Psalms and of the Liturgy of the Hours. Well, and maybe after the break we can talk more about the Liturgy of the Hours um, mm-hmm. and, and go into, you know, you, you kind of gave a rough sketch of what it is through the day, but maybe we can get a little bit more into that, sure. especially for those who are not familiar with it. Our spiritual director here, Father Rob Kroll, he's a Jesuit priest, the director of spiritual formation at St. Francis de Sales Seminary in Milwaukee, talking about the Psalms, praying through the Psalms. How have you incorporated the Psalms into your prayer life? Maybe you have a favorite psalm, and we'd love to hear, uh, you know, what that has meant to you, how it has spoken to you, how you've been able to use that in your prayer time. Maybe there's a psalm that brings you peace when you're going through a difficult moment in your life. Uh, If you have a question about one of the psalms, you're also welcome to call in and speak with Father Rob. The phone number, 888-914-9149, our email address, innerlife@relevantradio.com. More to come in just a moment here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. 
We receive over a million prayer requests every year, thanks in part to the Catholic Order of Foresters Studio Line, helping us stay connected to your intentions. Learn how our sponsor can support your family with life insurance at relevantradio.com slash Forrester, an Illinois life insurance society not available in all states. Raymond. Today, I'm joined by Father Rob Kroll. He's a Jesuit priest, the director of spiritual formation at St. Francis de Sales Seminary in Milwaukee, talking about the Psalms and how we can enter into prayer by using the Psalms. Uh, Going to talk about the Liturgy of the Hours here coming up next, and also want to invite you into the conversation. Is there a Psalm that has been very special to you, one that has helped you maybe at a difficult time in your life? Uh, How have you incorporated the Psalms into your prayer life? You're welcome to call in and speak with Father Rob, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Email address is innerlife at relevantradio.com. So, Father... Uh, as with so many different things in life, there are different terms or different phrases, different titles that can be used for things. And unless we're familiar with them, we might not realize that they're the same thing. So if we talk about the divine office, the litur- liturgy of the hours, the Psalms, uh, you know, it might sound like we're talking about a bunch of different things, but they're all the same thing. Uh, can you kind of explain to us what exactly the Liturgy of the Hours is? You gave us a little bit, kind of a little taste of that before the break, but maybe you can go into more detail and kind of walk through the different aspects of what this includes during the course of the day, that somebody, if they are praying through the Liturgy of the Hours, what it looks like. Sure, and I'd be happy to do that. And I want to say as a preface that um, in more recent times, uh, the laity have been encouraged much more to actually pray what we call the Liturgy of the Hours. Um, For a long time, it's been required of priests, of clergy, and of religious, but a lot of lay people even today don't know about this particular form of prayer, and so I, I want to really encourage those who are listening to consider uh, doing it in some form, and we call it liturgy of the hours. And that word liturgy, uh, you know, comes from the Greek word liturgia, which actually means a public duty or service. So, just to um, reinforce what we said before the break, this is a form of prayer that, outside of Mass, is really it's really like if part one of of the Church's official public worship is Mass. The Liturgy of the Hours is kind of part two, because it's meant to flow from Mass and then kind of flow back into Mass. And we call it the Liturgy of the Hours. That doesn't mean that each time we pray, we pray for a full hour, but it's a way of breaking up our day and inserting prayer throughout different hours of the day, um, morning, noon, evening, night, and so forth. Um, In Psalm 119, actually, it talks about seven times a day, I praise you. So the idea overall, the overarching idea of the Liturgy of the Hours is it gives us an opportunity to kind of consecrate or sanctify various moments of our day and night. Um, And so, um, for example, the main hours, the main um, times that we would pray this prayer are, are in the morning, 
and then also again in the evening, and then at night before going to bed. So we have those three hours, morning, evening, and night. But then we also have what's called daytime prayer, and that gets kind of subdivided into mid-morning, midday, and mid-afternoon. And usually a person would just choose one of those times. You don't pray all three. And then there's a final hour that kind of floats around a little bit. It can be prayed either at night, it can be prayed in the morning, but it's called the Office of Readings. And this brings together um, longer scripture passages and also some writings from either the lives of the saints, uh, some of our great uh, heroes in our tradition, or also like Vatican II documents are sometimes quoted. But the overall goal of the Liturgy of the Hours, also called the Divine Office, is that we bring together um, a number of psalms, some biblical readings, scripture readings, um, intercessions, so there's petitionary prayer that is part of this, um, hymns as well, so often we begin uh, the particular hour that we're praying with a song, with a hymn. And then there are some other prayers incorporated. So each each of these hours has a particular structure. Um, there's a book that contains this prayer. We call it the breviary. And uh, it's, it, the history is kind of funny, you know, that at one time uh, the Franciscans, who, who, they're um, an order where they go out and do a lot of active ministry, they wanted to pray the Liturgy of the Hours, but they couldn't take with them on their missions these very large handwritten prayer books that would that would be used in a monastery. So they were given an adaptation of the Liturgy of the Hours, and it's actually an abbreviated form of the Liturgy of the Hours. So the word breviary is kind of associated with this term abbreviated. But in any case, um, you know, what I think a lot of lay people do today is they will go by um, – the breviary, and it's a four-volume uh, book, actually. Um, and like the Mass, the breviary is organized according to different liturgical seasons. So Advent and Lent and Christmas and Easter, and then we have ordinary time. Each time that the Church has an official saint uh, that we're celebrating at Mass, the Liturgy of the Hours, uh, the breviary, also allows us to honor that particular saint. There might be a reading that includes some of that saint's life or a letter written by that saint, for example. So one of the cool things about praying the Liturgy of the Hours is over time, one gets exposed to, you know, virtually all of the Psalms. And so you begin to kind of memorize those. Those become kind of more embedded in our minds and our hearts. They become more a part of us. Um, we're regularly exposed to uh, writings of the saints and writings of church documents, and so it, it really is a, a wonderful formation over a period of, of years. And and I think for the maybe our listeners, what I would encourage is that they go, um, you know, you can either buy, like I said, this four-volume Liturgy Hours. Fortunately, today, you can actually find online, you can, I have an app called iBrievery, and I use that for some of the hours at times. So you don't even need to invest in these books. You can you can download an app and it'll organize everything for you and and I would say if you start with like morning prayer and evening prayer um, so maybe when you get up in the morning before your workday begins and then again after you get home and you know maybe things are winding down in the evening and you can pray each of those in about I would say 12 to 15 minutes um, so it's not a huge time commitment but that might be the place 
to start for those uh, who are listening and may be interested. Well, and as you're talking about this too, you know, another resource that I've gone to is divineoffice.org. It's a website that yep. has um, you know, the the daily prayers um, listed exactly. there. So very, very easy to find. Um, when we're talking about the Liturgy of the Hours and starting off... I, I guess one thought that comes to mind is when we're going through and praying that much with Psalms and Scripture, what's the difference, or is there any difference, between Lexio Divina and praying the Liturgy of the Hours? Yeah, that's a great question, Josh. I, I think with Lexio Divina, um, we're kind of focusing on a, on a rather brief Scripture passage. It might be the Mass gospel from that day, or maybe the first reading, or maybe I'm working my way through a book of the Bible, but I I would only take a small amount of Scripture. And then when I find myself drawn to a particular verse uh, or a few verses in there, then I kind of put the Scripture down and I, I just spend some time pondering those verses. You know, why are they drawing me? What is the Lord putting on my heart? And then I might enter into kind of a a personal conversation with the Lord, you know, where I listen to him speak to me through those verses, but then I respond to him and tell him what's going on in my own heart and mind. So that's a little bit different than the Liturgy of the Hours because, um, you know, again, if it's prayed with others, uh, you're moving along together at a certain pace. I mean, you're not rushing through it, but but there is a structure to praying the breviary or the liturgy of the hours, the divine office. And so it's a little different than, than having the luxury and private prayer of just spending as much time as I want um, on whatever is attracting me. Now, having said that, you know, I myself, for example, in the morning, I have an hour with the seminarians and a holy hour where we're all praying privately, although we're together in the chapel. And uh, we pray morning prayer together aloud. And, and some days we actually chant it, we sing it. But during that time when we're in the chapel praying privately, I will do what's called the Office of Readings, which again includes Psalms and Scripture and some uh, reading, readings from the saints. So I might find myself actually, as I would with a, with a gospel passage, I might find myself drawn to something, and then I can pause, and I, I can stay there as long as I want to pray with it. So what I would say to those who are listening to our program is, you know, you'll probably be praying the breviary privately, unless you decide to, your parish may have an organized communal recitation of the breviary, which would be, which would be awesome. But I think for most people, they pray it in their home in the, in the morning or at night. So if you are praying alone, again, you're praying with the whole church, uh, you're united with the whole church, but if you're praying uh, alone, you, you're welcome to kind of pause and, and chew on something that you come across but, uh, but you know, it, it does have an overall structure, and generally people don't take a long time during it to pray. They just, I mean, to pray privately or to do Lectio Divina. They keep kind of moving through the overall structure of the prayer, just like at Mass. I mean, you may find that as you're listening to the readings at Mass, something really strikes you, and you say, oh, I want to go back and pray with that. That's awesome. But we don't stop Mass for, for people to uh pray a long time privately. Um, we kind of keep the Mass moving. And so this is also a public prayer that has a certain momentum or rhythm to it. Um, so that's how I would kind of describe the difference. You know, it, it seems like, as with so much that we have in the Church, the Church is wanting to give us resources and help give us the 
um, the ability to be <laughs> as healthy in our spiritual lives as possible, you know. So the requirement, the obligation to go to Mass weekly, as well as the Holy Days of Obligation that we have throughout the course of the year, it's the Church saying, at a bare minimum, this is going to be what you need to be in uh, good relationship with God. As as you're talking also about the Liturgy of the Hours, how this prayer it flows from the Mass, from the Eucharist. It's kind of that secondary, you know, if the highest form of prayer that we have is the Mass, that this really kind of follows and complements it. And it is that continuous. It's it's really helping us live out what St. Paul talks about, you know, pray without ceasing. Yep, yep, exactly. 1 Thessalonians 5. No, I, I think that's important for us to realize is that— um, you know, in addition to Mass, uh, especially on, on Sunday and Holy Days of Obligation, um, yeah, our whole life is meant to be uh, continuous prayer. That doesn't mean we're always uh, formally praying, uh, but as we go to work and we can consecrate our work and, and we can pause even during our workday to, to consecrate that in a very explicit way, as we care for our kids and engage in, you know, friendships with people, I mean, everything in our life is meant to be, in a sense, uh, you know, a, a prayer or, or giving glory to God. So I think what helps with the Liturgy of the Hours is we, we kind of pause and take a little time out from the busyness and activity of the day in order to dedicate the rest of, you know, the upcoming hours of our day in a very explicit, conscious, intentional way. And we can do this you know, even very briefly, outside of the Liturgy of the Hours, we can just pause for literally 60 seconds or 90 seconds here and there. We do that often before we, I mean, usually as Catholics, I think we do it every time we eat a meal. We should anyway. We should pause and say a prayer there. Um, so, yeah, our day should be punctuated with briefer moments of prayer so that everything in our day is is somehow dedicated to God as a pleasing offering. You know, that's that's the goal. Our, our whole lives should be right. kind of imbued with a prayerfulness. Uh, let me throw out the phone number again here, Father. If you're listening and you'd like to join the conversation, uh, talk with Father Rob Kroll, you can give us a call at 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Talking about praying with the Psalms today. Um, we've been spending a lot of time talking about the Liturgy of the Hours, but we're also going to talk about some of the other psalms that uh, we might use in other formats of prayer as well. But if you have a question or would love to share how you have incorporated the psalms into your prayer life, we'd love to hear from you. 888-914-9149. Father, one more thing just uh, about the Liturgy of the Hours before maybe we move on. Uh, The Catechism, you know, you, you mentioned that the the, the Liturgy of the Hours, they're really meant to be more of the public prayer of the Church. And the Catechism talks about psalms incorporating into do, two different qualities, personal prayer and communal prayer. You've, you've been talking about that communal side of things. But if I'm a layperson, I don't have that religious community like what you're, you're talking about, your own experience, if I don't have a group at my parish where they're praying through, if the Liturgy of the Hours really is just something I do in private, how do I approach that, praying as a private individual in my home, but make it part of what's the mindset that maybe I should have that allows me then to really have that as part of the communal prayer of the Church? 
Yeah, no, that's a great question, Josh. And I think what I would encourage laity who are praying the Psalms or the Liturgy of the Hours privately in their home, I, I would encourage them first before they begin to just pause and realize that as they begin to pray, they're entering into this kind of continuous stream of prayer being lifted up around the world. So, I mean, literally, there are millions of Christians every day, at every moment probably, because of the way time zones are organized, probably at any moment of the day or night, there are lots and lots of Christians who are praying those very same psalms. If you're using the Liturgy of the Hours, they're praying the very same intentions or petitions, because every, or at least the main hours, like morning prayer and evening prayer, they contain set petitions that we pray for. So I find it very meaningful to know that even if I feel kind of tired or I don't feel all that prayerful, that I'm stepping into this stream of continuous prayer, and that can be something that can kind of um, lift me up or encourage me. And and it it's just, I think, a really neat thing to realize that we are, as the body of Christ, we are all brothers and sisters to one another. We're all united through this invisible bond of grace to one another. And the Liturgy of the Hours becomes sort of a concrete way to express that and to actually participate in it. So that would be one thing. Another part of that mindset that a person might um, have is to realize that when we pray the Liturgy of the Hours, Jesus is actually praying in us and through us, just like at Mass. At Mass, we participate mystically in the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which is eternally offered to the Father. Well, in the general instruction of the Liturgy of the Hours, it states explicitly that when we pray those Liturgy of the Hours, Jesus is praying in and through us. He's offering along with us himself to the Father. And and what's cool is that Jesus, as a faithful, observant Jew, he would have prayed from his earliest days on his mother's knee, you know, with Joseph in the workshop, he would have prayed these same psalms that we pray today. So part of it is historical that, gee, as I'm praying these psalms in 2022, I'm actually praying the same prayers that Jesus did, you know, 2,000 years ago. But beyond that, as I, as I join with the whole universal church right now in this moment, uh, the Lord Jesus himself is praying kind of with us. He's united with us. So all of that, I think, can make it more kind of more meaningful if we if we think about those truths first. Um, uh, let, let's talk about encountering Jesus in the Psalms coming up next to Father here. Uh, mm-hmm. We need to take one more break, but um, I want to throw out the phone number again, 888-914-9149. As we're talking about praying through the Psalms, the Liturgy of the Hours, and maybe you have a question about the Psalms, or we'd love to hear also how you incorporate the Psalms into your prayer life, how they've helped you. Uh, maybe uh, you've been going through a difficult time, and there was a Psalm that really spoke to you, that really helped you through that difficult moment in your life. Our phone number is 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Back with more with Father Rob Kroll in just a moment here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. This is The Inner Life here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. 
I'm Josh Raymond. Today, talking with Father Rob Kroll. Our phone number here, 888-914-9149. Talking about the Psalms and how the Psalms can help us in our prayer life, our prayer experience of growing closer to God, ultimately getting to know uh, God better, to know, love, and serve God. That's our goal here and as, as people, <laughs> part of the church, right? And you, again, are welcome to call us at 888-914-9149. Uh, Father, I wanted to go back to one of the Psalms that you mentioned earlier in the hour, and that was Psalm 22. It has those opening words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, or why have you abandoned me? And when we come across these lines in the Psalms, you know, we get this glimpse of Jesus and so many of the Psalms, so many of them written by David, and then we have Jesus, who is the fulfillment of the Davidic kingdom. How how do you think the Psalms help us to get to know Jesus better? You know, I think it was St. Jerome who said that famous line, ignorance of Scripture is ignorance of Christ. Um, but. Right. The Psalms, you know, how, how can we look to them? There's that famous line that you mentioned earlier, you know, where we hear Jesus cry it from the cross. But how do we encounter Jesus in other Psalms where it might not be so obvious and on the surface? Right. Yeah, and when I quote that Jerome saying, uh, I always highlight that he does say ignorance of scriptures, not ignorance of the Gospels or of the New Testament, but ignorance of the Scriptures is ignorance of Christ. Because ultimately, we as Christians see in the Old Testament, uh, in those scripture, in those Scriptures, we see often prophecies uh, that you know speak clearly of Christ. Uh, they might not have realized it at the time, um, but we, from our vantage point, can see that. Um, much of what the Old Testament is speaking about is fulfilled in Christ. And of course, Jesus himself um, often quoted the Old Testament, and he sometimes even applied particular Old Testament sayings to himself. Um, And so I think that's one of the things we can keep in mind as we pray the Psalms and the Liturgy of the Hours, is we do come across particular... um, you know, illusions or something that will anticipate uh, the coming of Christ, you know, and and even, I'm always struck, like we, we talked about that Psalm 22, uh, I'm always struck by some of the, the beautiful language, it's, it's kind of haunting, but when we read in that Psalm, you know, I am a worm, not a man, scorned by men, despised by the people, all who see me mock me, you know, they curl their lips and jeer, they shake their heads at, at me, you know, I mean, this this literally happened to him, um, and he talks about in that psalm, um, like water, my life drains away, all my bones are disjointed, my heart has become like wax, it melts away within me, as dry as a potsherd is my throat, my tongue cleaves to my palate, um, and then of course we have the, the also the reference to the garments, I can count all my bones, they divide my garments among them, for my clothing they cast lots. So that's just one example. But yeah, there are other examples in the Psalms as well, um, where we see a very clear messianic reference, and we can see how the life of Jesus, um, sometimes in a very in a very strikingly concrete way, uh, fulfills what the psalmist was talking about. Of course, there are other books of the Old Testament too, like in the Prophets we find language that we we clearly see now references Christ, um, even though, again, they didn't understand that. 
But, um, but I think, you know, for me personally, just knowing that Jesus would have prayed these same Psalms that I pray day in and day out, and that as I pray them, I can also um, see glimpses of his messianic mission and, and, and yeah, just his, his role as the Savior of the world. Uh, it, it's all kind of contained in germ, as it were, uh, in the Old Testament. And so to see that kind of broken open, uh, we're blessed. You know, we're blessed to live in the time that we do in that sense. The, the people of the Old Testament, even Jesus' own parents and relatives, they, they couldn't appreciate yet um, how much, you know, he fulfills all those longings and, and yearnings of, of the Old Covenant. Uh, Father Rob, let's go to the phones. Dorothy is listening in Glendale, New York. Dorothy, thanks for calling in. You're on the air. Good afternoon. Um, my question hi, is that, um, well, hi, hi, <laughs> sorry. I'm part of a third order um, laity community, and mm-hmm. we, we meet once a month, and one of our requirements is to recite morning and evening prayer. Mm-hmm. And so my question is, the one time a month that we meet when we do recite morning prayer, it's not very cohesive because of the fact that the members are reciting it personally at home every day, but that one time a month that we meet. So I was just looking to get some insight or pointers how our community could, um, you know, how, how we could teach the community to be more spiritual, mindful, uh, together when we do meet that one time a month. Okay. How many How many are you when you get together? We're about 30 members. Okay. Okay. And, um, and we, well, we are trying to do the, you know, the one side, Cantor 1, Cantor 2, and to do the back and forth, but it doesn't always, <laughs> doesn't always work, yeah. work out. Okay. Yeah, I was, that was going to be a suggestion of mine because that we do that here at the seminary where I work too. We have kind of uh, the, the chapel is divided into two halves. So that back and forth, yeah, I don't, I'm not exactly sure why that's, you know, difficult for your community, but maybe it is because you don't gather that often and do it that often in common. You know, I don't know if there's some way that you could do it virtually perhaps a little more often, maybe once a week or something like that, at least for those that are available and interested, but, but maybe just through a more practiced uh, recitation of it, it might become a little smoother. The other thing is maybe, um, I mean, I think obviously there has to be a common understanding what's happening too. So there needs to be a a clear, I don't know if members are coming in and out uh, or you're getting new members, but people have to be kind of taught how to pray the liturgy of the hours in common. Otherwise, yeah, if it's kind of stumbling around uh, that isn't so prayerful and it might detract from, you know, the overall uh, prayerfulness of the, of the experience. But, um, um, you know, the other thing is maybe to have the liturgy or the, what, when you pray morning prayer and evening prayer together that once a month to maybe allow a little time of silence first so that people can become prayerfully disposed and then move into um, the recitation together. So those would be, you know, a few thoughts off the top of my head. Um, but uh, I think it's it is wonderful that you know that you come together, even if, even if it is only once a month, to do it together. Depending on where members live, too, if they're if they're in the same geographical area, you might be able to uh, have smaller groups come together uh, more often to pray it. But 
Yeah, great question. But don't Dorothy. give up. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Keep praying, uh, keep Father. Praying. Let Let's talk about if I am praying through the Psalms, whether it's the Liturgy of the Hours or just praying through them on my own, and. Mm-hmm. L- you know, you mentioned that a lot of times they'll meet us where we are in our current state mm-hmm. in life. But let's say that I come to a psalm where it absolutely doesn't seem relevant. You know, uh, if I'm not dealing with any real enemies in my life, you know, I'm not mm-hmm. surrounded with swords and spears or I don't have people who are trying, you know, all those different things that we that we sure. read in the psalms. If I haven't experienced that serious betrayal by anyone— how should I pray through those psalms that maybe seem a little mm-hmm. bit more removed from my own personal experience? Do I look for an opportunity to pray maybe for those, be an intercessor for somebody who really is going through some sort of true uh, persecution like that? Yeah, I think that can be a really uh, important way to address that particular psalm, Josh, that maybe today it, it isn't so much speaking to my personal experience, but somewhere out there, you know, in this body that I belong to, and and probably any number of the people that are praying these same psalms today, they do have that experience. Maybe they've been betrayed uh, deeply by a you know a former friend or a spouse or something like that. So, so I think you know even if it doesn't connect with my personal experience in the moment, I can offer it as a prayer for someone else who is. The other thing is, you know, like some of the language you highlight in the Psalms when it talks about my enemies and some of the language gets kind of violent and kind of um, extreme. And uh, while that may not be my experience ever, it may be that I can still kind of make an application to myself to the extent that I've had, you know, struggles with a friend or I've had a falling out recently or, and, and of course, um, you know, we know that uh, the Satan and, and demons are certainly our enemies, and they're interested in our destruction and in harming us. So there's a way in which we can make a kind of a symbolic, well, not just symbolic, I mean, in that case, it's a real application, but not not that we literally have other human beings, you know, like in a time of war that are trying to annihilate us, but rather we have spiritual beings that are always out to get us, and we may have had some human persons that have, you know, at some level, uh, they at least feel like an enemy or they or we're maybe just on the outs with them. And so there can be a, a, a way that we can still apply it to ourselves in sort of a, a analogous fashion. If somebody really hasn't ever looked at the Psalms before, and we're down to about 30 seconds here, Father, but okay. if there's one Psalm that you would say start there, uh, you know, that's a great place to start to incorporate it into your prayers. Any votes for number one Psalm to begin with? <laughs> uh, I would say maybe Psalm 23, the, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. Yeah, that would have been my guess. Would already be. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Good. All right. Well, Father, it's always good to have you on the program here. Uh, before we do wrap up, could I ask you to offer a blessing for our listeners? Send down your hope. Oh, it sounds like we might have lost Father Rob there. Well, nope. we'll oh, there you are, Father. Nope. I'll, I'll try it again. Okay. Right. Uh, Heavenly Father, please send down your blessing upon our listeners and protect them from harm and help them to do your will today. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit come down upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen. God bless everybody. Thanks so much, Father. All right, stay tuned. We've got Mass coming up here in just a moment. Of course, that's followed by The Faith Explained with Kale Clark. And coming up tomorrow, we're going to look at the life of St. Matthew and stewardship. It'll be a great conversation. Hope you can join us tomorrow here on The Inner Life.